Welcome to First 15, brought to you by Word of Prayer. This is Ron, and I'll be your guide on this journey. Thanks for tuning into our podcast. I really encourage you to follow us on Spotify. You can subscribe on iTunes or just share it with a friend so they can start their day right too. Today we're going to start Season 5, and we're launching on a brand new journey. In Season 1, we demonstrated that all parts of Scripture, whether Psalms, letters, law, gospel, prophecy, poetry, or story narratives, they're all useful for hearing God speak, meditating, and responding to Him in prayer. Season 2 took us through the Gospel of Matthew. We took a journey with Jesus. And then season three helped us pray through the Psalms. Most recently in season four, we focused on New Testament letters. And we've had a little break here, and now we're back in season five. Now, I wanted to turn to Deuteronomy and really do a deep dive on the genre of law in the Old Testament for season five. That was my original plan. But in the end, I had to leave that for a future season. The reason is that I kept being tugged back to something more basic, something more foundational. And I finally saw that God in his wisdom has a design to things. And that applies even to this podcast. We do best when we pay attention to God's design. So what we're going to do is to use season five to focus on narrative or story in the Bible. Narrative is one type of scripture or what we call a genre in literature. It makes up about half of the Bible, and it provides the overall context that we use to make sense of the Bible as a whole. You know, I learned this when I was young because my parents took me to church, and we had Bible classes from my earliest age that I can recall. We, we were taught Bible stories in those Bible classes. Later, as a teenager, I helped my mom and she had responsibility for teaching a class of second graders, that's seven-year-old children. Uh, and I can recall just about all of those lessons were Bible stories. And it was a great experience for me helping my mom and getting to really try to share these stories with young children from a very early age. It seems to me that we as human beings are just wired for stories. And especially with young children, you read books to them and they just read it again. I want to hear it again. You know, tell me another story or tell me that story again. I can remember with my two sons when they were very young, they just wanted to have us read to them and read those books, those stories over and over again. They had their favorites. It took me many years, though, to realize that the whole Bible is really one unified story that points us to God, who is most clearly, most fully revealed in the person of Jesus. That is such an essential realization or revelation. From creation to the kingdom of Israel to King Jesus to his second coming, or what we call kingdom come, the Bible is one unified story. And it's important that we learn to listen to the story that God is telling us, to read the story and let it shape us into the people God wants us to be. So just think about it. Anyone who starts to read the Bible is probably going to start one of two places, either Genesis 1 or Matthew 1. Perhaps Luke or John 
if they're given a portion of the of the scripture or told to start, you know, with the story of Jesus. But it's going to be one of those places, either in Genesis or probably one of the Gospels at the beginning of the New Testament. But let's admit it. It's rare that someone is going to start just somewhere in the middle, randomly, or at least stick with it for very long if they do that, because it's going to be very confusing. As soon as we start reading the Bible, we run into a problem. It doesn't make sense. It gets complicated. Or we run into something and we're like, huh? I, I don't get it. Uh, it. That requires some background or some understanding. And we just lack the big picture view of where we are and where we're going. And that's where it's really important to have a, a good teacher or a, a guide, someone who can help us along. And so if you've had the benefit of that, you know what I'm talking about. One thing I'm struck by when I read the book of Acts is that the earliest Christian preachers knew their Bible stories and used them to tell the great story, the gospel. So just think about it with me for a second. Whether it was Stephen in Acts 7, he's the first Christian martyr, or Peter in Acts 2 on the day of Pentecost, or in Acts 10 with Cornelius, or Paul in Acts 13 in Pisidian Antioch, or virtually any other place as well that a major speech is given, the early preachers told God's great story. Now, I think part of being a Christian is being able to tell our personal story of how we came to faith, as well as the great story of what God has done and is doing in the world. I hope that you are able to do that. And if you're not, don't worry, because in this season, we're going to be spending a little bit of time on that, and I want you to, to really be able to tell the broad outlines of the great story of God that stretches from the first page to the last. Now, for season five, it would make a lot of sense to start in the beginning, on the first page of Genesis. And the truth is, we will get there very soon in this season, but not in episode one. I want to start somewhere else and tell you a story that is powerful and that lets us look at some of the features of narrative or story in general, and also launch us into this larger overall storyline of the Bible. And I'm choosing this portion because it puts us right in the middle of things. And, you know, I've taught literature before in school, and one of the things I find is great authors often launch us in the middle of things from page one. And then we have to go back and kind of, you know, figure out the parts, and the author leads us to a discovery, a, a realization about how that opening scene that grabbed our attention, how that fits into the overall picture. And we're going to do the same thing. What we're going to do is we're going to listen to 1 Samuel chapter 1 today. So the book of 1 Samuel, it's right in the middle of things. I've shared before the basic process that we follow on this podcast for hearing, for meditating, for praying and applying the scripture as we grow closer to God. You can find it on episode one, back in season one, we did Psalm 1, but you'll learn it just by listening to several episodes. So you can either go back and pick that up if you haven't heard it before, or just stick with us because over the next several episodes, you'll pick this up pretty quickly. 
So right now I'm going to share with you 1 Samuel 1. Now there was a certain man of Ramathaim Zophim, of the hill country of Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuth, an Ephraimite. He had two wives. The name of one was Hannah, and the name of the other, Penina. Penina had children, but Hannah didn't have children. Now this man went up from his town each year to worship and to sacrifice to Yahweh of hosts in Shiloh. The two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, priests of Yahweh, were there at Shiloh. And when the day came that Elkanah made sacrifice, he gave portions from the sacrifice to Penina his wife and to all her sons and her daughters. But he gave a double portion to Hannah, for he loved Hannah. But Yahweh had shut up her womb. Her tormentor provoked her severely to irritate her because Yahweh had shut up her womb. So year after year, when she went up to Yahweh's house, her tormentor provoked her. Therefore, she wept and didn't eat. Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why don't you eat? Why is your heart grieved? Am I not better to you than ten sons? So Hannah rose up after they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh. Now Eli the priest was sitting on his seat by the doorpost of Yahweh's temple. She was feeling bitter, grieved in her soul, and she prayed to Yahweh, weeping bitterly. She made a vow and said, Yahweh of hosts, if you will indeed look at my difficulties as your servant and remember me, and not forget me, your servant. If you will only give to me, your servant, a boy, then I will give him to Yahweh all the days of his life, and no razor shall come on his head. And as she kept on praying before Yahweh, Eli saw her mouth moving. Now Hannah spoke in her heart. Her lips were moving, but her voice was silent. Therefore Eli thought she was drunk. Eli said to her, How long will you be drunk? Get, a, get rid of your wine. Hannah answered, No, my Lord, I am a woman of sorrowful spirit. I have not been drinking wine or strong drink, but I poured out my soul before Yahweh. Don't think of me, your servant, as a wicked woman, for I've been speaking out of the abundance of my complaint, and I've been provoked. Then Eli answered, Go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant your petition that you have asked of him. She said, Let me, your servant, find favor in your sight. And so the woman went her way and ate, and her face wasn't sad anymore. They rose up early in the morning, and they worshipped Yahweh, and then returned and came to their house at Ramah. And then Elkanah, slept with his wife, Hannah, and Yahweh remembered her. 
when the time came, Hannah conceived and bore a son, and she named him Samuel, saying, Because I have asked him of Yahweh. The man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer to Yahweh the yearly sacrifice along with his valve. But Hannah didn't go up, for she said to her husband, Not until the child is weaned, then I'll bring him, and he will appear before Yahweh and stay there from then on. Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Do what seems good to you. Wait until you have weaned him, and may Yahweh establish his word. So the woman waited and nursed her son until she weaned him. And when she had weaned him, she took him up with her along with three bulls and one ephah of meal and a container of wine and brought him to Yahweh's house in Shiloh. The child was young. They killed the bull and brought the child to Eli. She said, Oh, my Lord, as your soul lives, I am the woman who stood by you here praying to Yahweh. I prayed for this child, and Yahweh has given me my petition, which I asked of him. Therefore, I have also given him to Yahweh. As long as he lives, he is given to Yahweh. He worshipped Yahweh there. So that's for Samuel chapter 1. There's 28 verses there. And every story has a time sequence and tells some kind of action using plot, setting, and characters. All right? Pay attention. There's going to be a quiz on this. No, I'm just I'm teasing. But stories, stories are so relatable. And they have certain essential elements to them. I just mentioned plot which is the action, setting, where it happens, and characters, or the people who are acting in the story. We learn really a lot about ourselves by listening to someone else's human experience. So let's start with the where. This is in ancient Israel. It's during the days of the judges. So previous book of Judges gives us context. The people of Israel are living in the promised land that God gave to them, but they're often doing a pretty sorry job of living according to his law. It says at the end of the book of Judges, everyone did right in their own eyes, but the way they did right was often completely wrong. Well, for most people, there were some notable exceptions. One of those is told in the book of Ruth, and his name is Boaz. He does things right, and he lives according to the law. He's a righteous man. Another righteous person is Hannah that we meet here for Samuel. So this is in the days of the judges, whenever Israel had no king. Now some of the characters that we are dealing with. Elkanah, there's this man who's introduced in the first of two verses, has two wives. One is named Hannah. The other is Penina. Now, Hannah is clearly a major character here. Penina is almost a type. She's not really fleshed out as a full character. She is really playing the role of a rival or a tormentor for Hannah. And besides just introducing her in you know one or two verses, the rest of the time she's kind of in the shadows and not really front and center. 
Who else are we dealing with? We've got Eli, one of the priests of Yahweh at Shiloh, and then his two sons, Hophni and Phinehas. They're introduced, but they really don't play much of a part in this chapter. Uh, They come into the story in chapter 2. And then baby Samuel, Hannah's promised child, is introduced. There's one more character that's easy to miss. God, Yahweh of hosts. And, you know, he's the hero of all Old Testament narrative, though he's not always named in the story or in the action. But that is a really important point that I want to emphasize here. As you're reading any part of the narrative of the Bible, stories in the Bible, even when God isn't named, God is the hero of the action, working in the scenes, working through people's circumstances. And we don't always get a resolution in every episode, every event of what God is up to. But if you read enough of the stories of the Bible, you'll start seeing patterns emerge about who God is, what he's like, and what he's up to. Now, the plot of this story in 1 Samuel 1 is pretty simple. And it really gives the story some interest. There's a woman in distress, and she's distressed at being childless. That, in the ancient world, was a truly not just an embarrassment, but like a shame for women in a very patriarchal society. And Hannah is just beside herself. She is mocked by her rival, Elkanah's other wife, Penina, who has children. And then Elkanah tries to console his wife and tell her, Hannah, aren't I more valuable to you than 10 sons? Well, no, Elkanah, I'm sorry. You may be a great guy, but that is not very comforting for a woman to hear. And so we have this husband who is a bit tone deaf. He doesn't really know how to comfort his wife properly. And so where's she going to turn? Hannah prays to God. Hannah pours out her heart, her soul, her spirit before God. And poor Hannah. Her name actually is Hannah, which comes from the Hebrew root chain, grace or favor. And so Hannah's name actually means favored one. But she doesn't look very favored Besides, you know, in the eyes of Elkanah, Elkanah favors her, gives her a double portion, even though she doesn't have any children. So he's he doesn't treat her like she's a shameful woman. But Penina sure is riding her hard. By the way, Penina's name in Hebrew comes from the root that is coral or gem. Hannah turns to God and prays to him. And in the midst of that, she's misunderstood by Eli, who thinks she's drunk. So they clear that up. And Hannah promises to dedicate a baby to God if God will just give her a son. Well, God does hear her and gives her a child. And she does dedicate him to God and eventually takes this young boy to Shiloh once he is weaned. So probably by the time he's about two years old, we would guess. And she entrusts him to Eli at Shiloh. So that's the plot That's the setting. Those are the characters. Now, a couple of things just to point out as we meditate on this passage that come out that I wanted to emphasize, and I'm not going to spend a lot more time on this, but I just want to give you a few things to think about here. Hannah's grief 
her just how bitter she is really is emphasized and comes out in the beginning of this story. And it's kind of interesting. This is actually emphasized in the story when she's talking to Eli. And it says in verse 10, in bitterness of soul, she wept and prayed to the Lord. And that word bitterness is actually in Hebrews mara, which is the same word actually in the name given to a woman in the book of Ruth. There's a woman who says, I am bitter because not only have I lost my husband, but also my two sons. And she's in a foreign land. She goes to Moab. She returns to Israel and she tells her two daughters-in-law, you can stay here in Moab where you're from. I'm going to go back home. But one of her daughters-in-law refuses to be released and clings to her mother-in-law. And she comes along and and she uh, is named Ruth. Now, the woman says, I'm bitter. My name is Mara. Don't call me Naomi. That is my given name. But call me Mara because I'm a bitter woman. Of course, by the end of the story, by the end of the book of Ruth, she is no longer Mara. God has worked in her life and restored grace and favor to her. So there's some interesting parallels. And these are roughly from the same time period, the stories of Ruth and Hannah. And so this bitterness that Hannah mentions is a lot like um, Naomi's bitterness. Now, there's another thing in the story that is emphasized, which is Hannah prays to God and actually makes a vow to him and asks of God in in a very, in a pleading way, God, just give me a son and I'll dedicate him to you. The Hebrew verb to ask in this sort of way is sha'al. And to ask or make a request and also to make a vow is the word sha'ul. And that word gets repeated like five times. It's really prominent as I was reading 1 Samuel 1 um, here. And so one thing that I'll say here and emphasize, she gives the child the name Samuel, which in, in the footnote of most Bibles, it says Samuel sounds like the Hebrew for heard of God, Shema. El, all right? Shemuel is how uh, his name sounds in Hebrew. So heard of God, because God hears Hannah ask. This is Hannah's big ask. This is her request of God. But there's something else that's not so evident that I wanted to emphasize. Here at the end of 1 Samuel 1, it's actually repeated twice um, in verse 28. It says, and now I give him to Yahweh for his whole life. He'll be given over to Yahweh. And that given over to Yahweh is the word Shaul. Well, it's kind of interesting. There is a character who's going to be introduced in the middle of the book of 1 Samuel, whose name is Shaul. Of course, we know him in English better as Saul. But Saul in Hebrew is Shaul. And Saul is going to be the character who becomes the first king of Israel. He is the man that Israel asks of God to give them a king. And he is the man that grown-up Samuel is going to end up anointing and proclaiming as the king. So it's kind of interesting. Here in 1 Samuel 1, Samuel himself, by his mom, is, you know, related to this whole thing about asking of God 
So Hannah makes a righteous request of God. She asks of God, and God gives her the answer. And in the narrative, in the story that emerges, it's going to be interesting, as Israel asks of God for a king, and they get Shaul, whose name means asks, who asked of God. And so if you want to keep reading 1 Samuel, we're only going to look at the first couple of chapters, first three chapters, in fact. But if you want to keep reading and you follow that thread, it's really something that kind of links all of these stories together. All right, let's take a moment and let's pray this scripture back to God. Let's make it our own prayer. We can put it into our own words. Here's my example of how we can pray 1 Samuel 1 back to God. God, you are so gracious and giving. You have chain. You have grace and favor toward us. And like Hannah, you blessed her with a baby after years of infertility. And she gave you praise and devotion. She gave you her heart because she did not hold this child close to her, to herself in selfishness. Instead, she opened up her heart and her hands and gave the child back to you in dedication and said, I asked him of God and I give him back to God. He's in God's hands. God, take care of him. Use this child for what you will. And you intended God, to use this baby to lead your people. And you've taught us important lessons from his life. We're listening, God, and we want to learn. Thank you for your love. Thank you for listening to our prayers. Even when we're in distress, when we're being tormented, when we feel harassed, troubled, when we're upset, when we're in the midst of difficulties that we just just tie us in a knot. God, you hear us and you respond. Thank you for listening. Lead me today, God, and help me to receive your gift humbly and to use it faithfully, obediently. Amen. The fourth step in our approach to Scripture. We've heard it, we've meditated on it, we've prayed it back to God, but now we need to apply it to our lives and continue to let it live in us and produce a harvest as God takes His truth and works it into the crevices, into the creases, into the, the, the inner parts of our lives. And I want to encourage you to take some kind of a concrete action that flows out of what you've read or heard and prayed just now. There are many examples, and I've mentioned some of these before. You can write out a verse in a journal or on a note card, or you can just grab one of these scriptures and text it to yourself or post it on social media, something from 1 Samuel 1, and just make it front and center. Make it a part of your life. What is it from 1 Samuel 1? Is it the example of Hannah who prays to God and asks him boldly for what she wants? Or is it her choice to dedicate this precious gift, this child, to God and not to cling 
onto him and hold him selfishly close to her. Is it something else? Are you in a role like Eli? And it's you misunderstand someone, and it's your role to graciously give them a blessing and not to get all hung up on the he said, she said, and oh, the misunderstanding and all that, not to take offense, but instead to just be gracious. And, you know, Eli, it was his bad. He, he misunderstood Hannah. And in the end, when he realized her true intent, he just blessed her and sent her on her way. I don't know who you identify with in the story or which verse, but I encourage you to grab hold of one of the truths, one of the verses here, and meditate on it. You can also share a verse with a friend or family member, or you can share it on social media. Use your creativity and come up with some personal expression of how the Word applies to you out of these 28 verses in 1 Samuel 1. Ask God to bring people into your life today and give you a chance to see the truth at work around you. I hope this has been helpful. I trust it has been. And I want to encourage you. Join us for the next episode. We're going to look at 1 Samuel 2. We are going to only follow this through 1 Samuel 3, as I mentioned, before we turn back to Genesis and we start looking at the bigger outlines of the great story that God is telling through all the narratives. But we're going to demonstrate this in a number of selected narratives, especially in the Old Testament. But, you know, over half the Bible is narrative. And so that means... The other half is other types of literature like poetry or law or prophecy or a very small subset is apocalyptic. And then in the New Testament, there's letters. But all of those other genres combined make up the other half. And so narrative is huge. It's really important for us to learn how to read it and pray it and to really learn these truths with God. And Many of the stories are probably familiar. They're in our culture already. But I think connecting them to the bigger story is one of the places where we haven't done such a great job. And I hope to point out some of these connections in this season of verse 15. And so if you haven't subscribed to our podcast, do that. If you want to engage with us, you can find us on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter. And... I just want to mention my wife, Angela, who's been on some of our episodes in the past. She actually wrote a study based on the book of 1 Samuel, and you can find it on Amazon. It's called Learning to Be a Child After God's Own Heart, 1 Samuel. And she really wrote it targeted toward moms and how to have devotions with your kids. But it really applies more broadly than that, honestly, if you're younger in the faith or Um, If you're a newer Christian, I think you'd find some really good uh, lessons in that. And so I'll put a link to it in our show notes in the description of the podcast. And we'll also feature it on the Facebook page. So I just encourage you to stay with us. We'll see you on the next episode of Word of Prayer. And I thank you for sharing your day with us. Blessings to you.